0: Yeah. So, I mean, when I was blown up, I remember thinking like, Oh my God, like, th- like this is it. We're actually, we're going for a ride right now. Like it's actually happening. Like I was hanging out of my truck. I somehow grabbed onto something on the dashboard. I was in the passenger seat cause I was the truck commander. And as I was trying to pull myself back in, I looked down and see that my leg is like this, at, you know, mid femur. And I was like, holy shit, I actually got hurt.
1: That was Army veteran Chad Jukes. He's a combat amputee who summited Mount Everest. His story is next. You're listening to 21 Gun Podcast, a show by veterans for veterans. What's your story? You got the, you're, you're much better at bearding than I am. Uh, so of all the, all the people I've interviewed, uh, over the last couple of years, yours was one of the hardest because each chapter of your life from, from the part that I know, and it's easy to find stuff about you because of your, your Everest trip and, uh, the organizations that you're with when we were with world team sports, there's bios all over the place. But when you look at it, I feel like if I jump ahead and talk about something, you're going to lose so much from the beginning, Right. Because it's like one thing kind of carries over into the next. Let's start off when you were there at the recruiting office signing your life away. Where did that come from?
0: To play the trumpet.
1: That was it? Really?
0: Yes. I wanted to go to school to uh-huh. study music. And I knew that the Army actually has a really, really, really good band program. Okay. Uh, so my thought was that, you know, I would enlist and anyways you know i was joining the reserves and as my recruiter told me the reserves never get deployed but instead halfway through my first semester i was in afghanistan Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, and of course that was another thing i decided that since i was in the reserves and you know i would only be doing my job one weekend a month two weeks a year i would just take whatever job had the biggest bonus. So,
1: so what, what was that? Petroleum supply. Oh, driving the gas trucks. Yeah. Oh. And
0: I mean, it was actually, it was sort of cushy. When I went to Afghanistan, I ended up with the absolute best job you could have doing petroleum supply. I was, uh, do running aviation refueling operations at Bagram.
1: Okay. You probably refueled some of my planes. We might have crossed paths. We wouldn't even know it. Maybe. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So working with the Air Force guys and yeah, definitely pretty cushy as far as that goes, but also really realized that, you know, when I signed up for the army, I was like, oh yeah, screw the Air Force. They're a bunch of wins. (laughs) I'm going army. Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. I got to Afghanistan and worked with the air force and saw the way they were treated.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) Thought, damn it. Why didn't I join the air force?
1: (laughs) So you joined up to be a trumpeter. You ended up, so you were taking classes too at the time, mid semester, you go over to Afghanistan. Then you wind up in, in Iraq a year later, Iraq kicks off.
0: So for Iraq, when I, so when I got home from Afghanistan, uh, We had started the Iraq war, and I mean, the army was, especially the reserves, things were a bit of a shit show. Nobody knew what was going on. Nobody knew how to fight the kinds of wars we were in Mm -hmm. and how to do things sustainably.
1: Yeah. So they they were fighting a war they had no idea how to fight. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. When we were when we were in uh, I, I guess we'd call it in Garrison when we were back home we would train to fight the Russians like that was we were using textbooks to fight the yeah. Russians and then we'd go there yeah. and we'd fight the people that beat the Russians I'm like what's going on <laughs> Exactly
0: exactly right mm-hmm. exactly Yeah we were training for World War 2
1: Yeah it, I mean another aspect right there of the 21st century war you know what oh, separates yeah. what separates The modern veteran from the old ones is people expect they think we're audie murphy they think we're our great grandparents who stormed the beaches of normandy and were beating up nazis or you know out the jungles of vietnam fighting off communism and really it's a common theme amongst a lot of veterans of this war is that we a we were all volunteer and we all did it Mm -hmm. for almost selfish reasons you know like i wanted to fly airplanes i thought that was pretty damn cool um you wanted to you know blow the trumpet we had all these like reasons that weren't yeah we want to go out and save the world and then we come home and everyone says hey thanks for saving the world because they believe all the bullshit they see on tv and we're like you don't know what the hell this is all about and then we get this little divide right this divide between the civilians and the.
0: every now and then uh if i'm feeling a bit cheeky mm-hmm. when somebody tells me thank you for your service, I'll uh I'll look at them be like, you know, I'll be honest, I I didn't do much of anything for you. Yeah. But Dick Cheney probably owes me a blow
1: <laughs> There's my soundbite. There's my soundbite for the beginning of the show.
0: <laughs> Another thing that I get sometimes is I'll have a civilian say that they like that they they feel bad that they can't relate. To me and my experiences, mm-hmm. and I just I'll look at them, be like, no, don't apologize for that. I am fucking thrilled that you haven't had to do that. I am thrilled that you can't understand what it's like to be at war. Yeah, and do me a favor and keep it that way.
1: <laughs> I, yeah. I one of the best feelings I had ever in life is getting off the airplane in in uh, North Carolina and Pope coming back from from Iraq Uh and I I remember specifically because we came back it was probably June maybe May and I got off the plane and it was like first it was humid it was like a nice humid cool day and I look up and there's green trees just surrounding me and it's quiet Mm -hmm. and you hear birds and I'm like ah you know this is home and it's a feeling that I I mean to this day when I think about it I, I can feel it in my bones that feeling of just being home and no one will ever understand that and I don't want them to have to understand that because it sucks to be in that position where getting home feels like that. Uh So you're driving trucks, uh, you make it out to uh, Iraq, and then you got blown up. I'm pretty sure you didn't see that coming.
0: Yeah, it was a bit of a surprise. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I definitely knew that it could happen. I mean, we were running convo security operations. We were the number one target in Iraq at that time, driving gun trucks. my unit averaged, between our four platoons that would be doing separate missions, mm-hmm. we averaged uh, one IED a night. Wow. Um, granted, most of them would, either we would find them or they would like blow up between vehicles and do no damage. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you'd have a flat tire, a broken windshield. Um, it was pretty it was fairly uncommon to have something like super catastrophic. Right. But, yeah. So, I mean, when I was blown up, I remember thinking like, Oh my God, like, th- like this is it. We're actually, we're going for a ride right now. Yeah. Like it's actually happening.
1: You were aware of the, the whole thing happening. Oh yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. And yeah. So like I was hanging out of my truck. I somehow grabbed onto something on the dashboard. I was in the passenger seat because I was the truck commander. And uh, yeah, I was hanging out the door, grabbing onto the dashboard. And as I was trying to pull myself self back in, I looked down and see that my leg is like this, at, you know, mid femur was like, holy shit, I actually got hurt. And so, yeah, that's when I, you know, I asked my crew if they were fine, if they were okay. And they said, yes. And I called up on the radio, said three six, this is gun truck three ten, IED, one casualty. Yeah, it's sort of funny to think about that. Just like, oh yeah, I called myself in. <laughs>
1: That's unbelievable. Yeah.
0: So- and you know, it's it's because I we had so we had, had so many close calls that, you know, by that point you just you start to feel like you're invincible. Sure. Yeah. It's like when you've lost count of your near-death experiences, you start to almost believe that it can't happen to you. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it was, sort of, it was sort of wild to have it actually happen. And be like, oh, wow, here we go.
1: Uh, it was a shattered ankle and a, a broken femur, right? Uh, yeah,
0: my heel bone yeah, was just pulverized.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a bad it one.
0: Gravel. I was so lucky. Um, so well, I was unlucky first cause the army sent me to a hospital in El Paso
1: mm-hmm.
0: at Fort Bliss. And I had a great doctor a great surgeon. Then I was sent home on convalescent leave. Mm-hmm. And this is like a month after, the surgery on my foot mm-hmm. and there was a small open wound on the side of my foot along the incision line that was still, you know, just leaking fluid. And after I had been home for like two days, I accidentally like bumped the bottom of my foot and fluid just squirted out of the hole. Like that bar. It's definitely just- not
1: good. That's <laughs> definitely not good.
0: Oh No. So the army had set me up with a civilian doctor in Utah that I could go and see in the case of an emergency. So I set up an appointment and went and saw this guy the next day, and he just took a look at it. He was like, oh, yeah, you have an infection, and I'm going to bet it's MRSA. And turns out it was MRSA. My surgeon came into my room, and he was like, hey, so uh, here's what's going on. The infection has eaten, like consumed, most of the small bone fragments so we can do limb salvage and rebuild it with chunks of cadaver bone and try sort of reshape reform a heel bone Mm -hmm. or we can amputate and you know at first I thought like amputate like you're crazy yeah that's insane why would I do that uh you know did some research found some folks and quickly just you know discovered the amputation is actually not that bad like not a big deal and so yeah we very quickly decided to go that route um and yeah i discovered later i mean when i was back down in san antonio after that is the army then sent me to san antonio to Bamsi and the center for the intrepid which is a great great amputee care facility Mm -hmm. facility and uh when i was there i saw guys who had even more severe injuries than i had had who were begging their surgeons to amputate
1: and they wouldn't do it the
0: surgeons wouldn't they wanted to continue with limb salvage Mm -hmm. wow and i think Part of that is that, you know, it's the idea of wanting to be the person that want to be the, wanting to be the surgeon that saves the unsavable leg.
1: Did you have to, you hear the classic tale of I had to learn to walk all over again. Is that, is that true? It, it wasn't that difficult. Um,
0: really at all, it was pretty natural learning to rewalk, uh, But the only thing was at the beginning, so because of the duration of the injury, I had been off of my leg completely for like four months, uh, just over four months, actually. So, so much atrophy, like going upstairs, I had to do one stair at a time. I could not put my right leg up a step and actually have enough power to stand up onto it because it was just so, so weak. So it took a while to rebuild the strength. I was on crutches for probably the first three or four days. Then I used a cane for probably a month after that month and a half Mm
1: -hmm.
0: within just two days of getting my prosthesis. I was at the climbing
1: gym, I was riding my bike. But you, you've been—I assume you've been a climber for a while.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I even before my amputation, I was a rock climber. I grew up—I mean, I grew up outdoors. I grew out—I grew up hunting and camping and backpacking. Yeah, so climbing was something that I had done for a while, but it was—and it was really important for me to get back into it. So after my amputation, uh, Paradox Sports. Was a brand new nonprofit, and they invited me out to Boulder to go rock climbing. Paradox Sports was started by a civilian and a veteran. Actually, well, DJ Skelton was still an officer of the Army. Yeah, he got really jacked up over in uh, Afghanistan, I believe. And uh, yeah, him and Timmy O'Neill started Paradox Sports. With the idea of, you know, they were looking at some of this stuff that was available available to disabled veterans, and they thought that it would be really cool to start an organization and provide outdoor experiences to veterans and civilians okay. with disabilities. And so that's been a big push. And also, really, I think that it's so good for disabled veterans to do events with civilians because it starts to really boost the reintegration Mm -hmm. process. Yeah. There's a lot of misconceptions Mm -hmm. and a lot of those are perpetuated sometimes by the very people who are trying to help. It's like they, you know, some people try and make it seem like us veterans are weak and sensitive and need,
1: need to be taken care of. Yeah. And now we're just people, you know. So organizations like Paradox Sports, I mean, that's, that's, I think, the answer, especially if you can recruit people that are in that, that zone of not, not participating in, in society.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, and I think that also mountaineering, uh, I think, well, climbing in general has so many corollaries to the veteran world uh, with the, you know, intensity and the struggle and the reliance that you have to have for the people on the people around you. Yeah. Um, you know, when you're on a mountain, your, your partner is everything. And, you know, you have to know that if something terrible happens to you, then that man or woman who who you're, you're climbing with is going to be there to take care of you and to get you out of there and to save your life.
1: Do you still wake up and say, "Holy crap, I climbed Mount Everest <laughs> every now
0: and then, but
1: I mean that's there's people that their entire lives wanna climb Mount Everest they get there, and the weather's crap, and they just that's their one shot and they can't get it and and then then there's some people that die and then there's some people that just physically their body says No, we're not doing this, and you did it, you got to the top man that's that's uh. Amazing. I mean, when I heard you made that, I was so proud of you. I was like, man, I know a guy who climbed up Mount Everest.
0: (laughs) I mean, I was, I was fortunate. I had good conditions. Mm -hmm. I mean, my body performed as expected. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, I was really lucky to be able to get up that mountain with not all that much difficulty getting down that mountain. However, was a bit of a different story. Everything and you read
1: that that's the worst part is coming down.
0: Yeah, yeah, often. And yeah, she definitely tried to kill me. Uh, we had some complications with the on the descent. Mm-hmm. Um, my partner got sick, he came down with a stomach bug, oh. and I ended up running out of supplemental oxygen because my oxygen line was damaged unbeknownst to me. So we, uh, we had to spend the night high on the mountain, uh, um, uh, 8,300 meters. And then the next, uh, the next day, the jet stream moved down over the mountain. So we were hiking through 80 to 90 mile per hour winds.
1: Yeah. Well, when that stuff happens though, are you like, yep, I mean, we're on Everest, (laughs) uh, I mean, can you, Uh, I I suppose you can't predict the worst, but I mean, you got to just, you got to expect it. You're on Everest.
0: Yeah, in a sense. But I mean, it was definitely like, I mean, you're just plugging along and it gets to the point where, you know, you huddle up behind a rock to get, seek shelter from the wind. Mm -hmm. And then it's just like, okay, Chad, keep moving or you'll die. Yeah. Easily. You can't stay here. (laughs) <laughs> and then at the same time, you're just like, but dying behind this rock sounds so comfortable. <laughs> yeah,
1: and that's how people die, right? Because they just, they, they, oh, exactly. they succumb it's to exactly the... We understand how people
0: die from hypothermia Because, yeah, just curling up under a rock and falling asleep sounded so nice.
1: Wow, that's insane. Uh, we had to just keep going instead. When you when you step foot on on the summit what's going through your head? Cause in my mind, I, I, I don't know how my brain works, but I would just be like my, my brain, when something really cool is happening in reality, my brain says this, this probably isn't happening. Like I, I separate myself from it as if I was stepping on the moon, I wouldn't be able to handle stepping on the moon. Like I wouldn't, my brain would just, it would just reboot. And then I would probably die. Uh, you're standing on Everest, like probably the most famous what is it? Maybe a half acre, probably even smaller piece of land on earth. And you were there oh, smaller. Okay. Well, what, yeah. what's going through your head when you're like, I can't get higher than this.
0: Dude, it was, it was wild. And I just stood there. I was alone on the summit for about 10, 15 minutes. And I just was like spitting in circles, looking around. You were, and I could look down at, some of these other mountains that are enormous, yeah, intimidating, and they're molehills, you're just looking down over the world, you can see the curvature of the
1: earth and so you're there's seven billion people on earth, and there's no one higher than you at that point now when, when you're there, spiritually what what happens to you
0: I mean, nothing too terribly profound as far as that goes, I would say, but you know definitely learned a bit on the descent about you know, survival and continuing just, you know, not dying, uh, which was, you know, it was a bit bizarre because to, to be in that situation where you could understand why somebody would just lay down and die and understand why somebody would give up, but at the same time just being like, okay, gonna keep moving and just plugging on down the mountain.
1: Considering everything you went through, uh, when you hit that, that anti-tank mine, if you were given the opportunity to go back right in a, in a time machine and that kid who's signing his life away on that, that uh, enlistment paper, what would you do?
0: I am so grateful for where I am. And I feel that, you know, that my military service did a lot to get me to where I am. Um, But frankly, I mean, I'd also, I also have some, personal ethical issues with my military service and the decision to join and, you know, the decision to join specific to play the trumpet. Yeah. And, you know, and also just the way our modern conflicts have gone, mm-hmm. got ethical issues with my complicity and my, with, with the, those actions.
1: Sure. No, that's, that every day, you know, there's times where I'm like, I'm proud of the people I served with. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. proud of the job we did. I mean, every time we flew. Oh, definitely. Whenever we flew, we flew with the the notion. And I don't know how many uh, uh, ground pounders realize this, but we would say every time we take off on time, we're keeping people off the roads, right? Or we're doing a medical event or something like that. We're saving lines every, mm-hmm. lives every time we take off the ground. And that makes me feel proud, but then I think, for what? You know, what? What did we accomplish, right? What did What did we do in Iraq? What? Because a few years later, we gave it up, anyways. I mean, all the places we were flying into was was given up to our ISIS. We took it back, but it's like, what? What did we do? And I don't. I try not to go down that path because I know it's not going to lead to to anything good. I mean, I if I sit there and think I wasted that time and I, I went through with what I went through for nothing that's not a way to live
0: oh definitely definitely and I I feel like for me I've I'm at a point where I can say like I can acknowledge the fact that that the war in Iraq particularly was an abject failure but still be okay with what I did and also the you know the fact that I've already done that I can't
1: you know, I can't change anything. Yeah, it's it's something that I wrestle with every day, um, but where I, what I end up concluding is that it wasn't, we're just the spear, you know? They're just tossing us. We didn't throw it, and yeah. and it, it's the guys yeah. that we were with, and it was the lives that we were saving. That was why we did it. That's what we had to, we had no choice. When you're in a, the world's largest army, I don't know if it's the largest, but the world's most techn- technologically advanced army, how about the most deadliest military in the world? and you're told to do something you're you're that's it i mean you sign the line you're part of it so so it's not what's that saying it's not to what question why but to do or die and and it kind of is and and you know it's a shame that kids have to make that decision to sign on the line to do that but as an adult yeah. you know it's just that's just the way it was and and it, i would go crazy if i didn't if i didn't think that way
0: yeah i mean knowing the amount of responsibility that i had at age 19 in afghanistan Now,
1: like meeting 19 year olds, I'm like, no, no, well, it's different, man. These millennials are, yeah, they, I don't know what's going on. Here's another one for you. Name me, name me two types of veterans.
0: Yeah. I mean, two types of veterans. I mean, so, well, the one thing that pops into my mind right away, and this is something that so many people just like don't want to talk about, but it's like, Being a veteran does not automatically make you a good person. Oh no. (laughs) This this one comes down to the whole, thank you for your service thing. (laughs) It's like, or like, oh, you're so amazing. And it's like, or, or you're such an inspiration. That's something that us in the disabled world get all the time. Oh, you're such an inspiration. And you're like, how do you know? Yeah, yeah, that's I can right. Be a terrible person. Yeah,
1: you could like beat puppies, on the you know, <laughs> yeah. just because you're missing a well, leg does not dictate what kind of person you are. It's yeah. an experience, but it's not a character characteristic. Name a misconception that civilians have about veterans.
0: Uh, there's two that come to mind, and they're a little bit contradictory. I would say, but one is that I, I think especially with post 9-11 vets, a lot of civilians have this misconception that we are all just like weak and fragile. Um, but you know, another misconception that people have about vets is that we are all just like strong and tough and you know, type A masculine. And you know, both of those are not entirely accurate. I mean, veterans are, you know, as veterans, we are human beings and we are complex, and there is so much diversity in the veteran population.
1: Officially, now this is on the record, Alex Honnold. Is he crazy?
0: He definitely has some issues with like the fear response system in the brain. Yeah, they showed that.
1: <laughs> they did the MRI for the listeners. Yeah, he was the guy yeah. who who freaked But climbed. He's
0: also like he is such an incredible and sweet and kind person.
1: I I watched that movie and I don't I can separate myself from movies, but that was one where I was like I was gripping my toes on the floor and on the watching him he said some of the pieces he was holding on to are as 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 wide as a quarter or two quarters.
0: Oh yeah, just like little ledges that big sometimes. I've I've free soloed things. I've I've free soloed, you know, three, four hundred feet of ice sometimes.
1: Yeah, all you need is like 10 feet. Well, you you broke your, didn't you break something at seven feet? Yeah, yeah. I broke my leg horrifically falling seven feet. Yeah, yeah. So you know, man, yes. it only has to be 20 feet. You could be dead. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially when you got sharp, pointy things all over.
0: Oh, man. But I only free solo like really, really easy
1: ice mm-hmm. that I know I'm not going to fall off of. yeah. What is, when you're doing it, what's, is it the freedom of it? Is it the grasping onto the edge of death? What is it that, why do people do it?
0: I mean, there's so many things. The freedom is nice and just the simplicity of not having any excess equipment. Uh, Frankly, however, like if I'm free soloing, it's generally just because it's faster. (laughs) Okay. It's simpler um, and when I'm going up a mountain, sometimes it's nice to just for me and my partner to both just solo for a little bit
1: mm-hmm.
0: instead of you know having the rope out and climbing one by one. Sure, sure, and we can just yeah, we can just get more done faster and some you know sometimes
1: fast is safe. Best climbing movie, documentary or fiction. Oh man, you can use high ground. <laughs> oh nice nice good plug yep or La Umbre.
0: oh i don't know uh that one. no maybe i i love cheesy and i love just absolute fake stupid shit so i think i'm gonna have to say cliffhanger
1: i am so glad you said that i was hoping i even wrote cliffhanger in my notes here <laughs> uh or vertical limit i mean
0: because oh yeah Vertical gotta, limits, that was another good one yeah you gotta bring plastic because plastic explosives on a mountain yeah sure know.
1: absolutely um high it was ground.
0: nitroglycerin Why?
1: <laughs> i think i think you guys did a great job on high ground it was good little known fact you and I, I were do. on a documentary together but ours never aired i was a little uh sad about that
0: i know yeah
1: all right well where can folks find you obviously they can find you at base camp U- uray or Alright. how do you say that yeah Ure. Ure. okay they can find you there um are you, are you associated with Paradox Sports, or you're just basically their their uh, Michael Jordan?
0: Uh, yeah, I'm an ambassador for Paradox Sports. Okay. And I also
1: work with ROMP,
0: the Range of Motion Projects, Okay. Uh, which is an organization that provides prosthetic services to underserved populations in Latin America.
1: Oh, excellent, excellent. In the U.S. Very good.
0: Uh, and so I do fundraising climbs with ROMP every year to help people realize that, you know, you're not disabled by an amputation. You're disabled by lack of access to prosthetic technology. Yeah,
1: yeah that makes sense. Um,
0: so, and that applies still here in the U S you know, we still have plenty of folks here in the U S that can't afford to access uh, prosthetic technology. And we have prosthetic we have insurance companies still here in the U S that don't believe that prosthetic technology is necessary to live a good life. Cause it's, it's like, Oh, you can use crutches or a wheelchair. You don't need to walk.
1: I'm, I'm just, I gotta put my plug in. I'm wearing my vest for, um, the irreverent warrior. We're doing a 22 kilometer, uh, 22 kilogram, Uh, Silky's hike for 22 a day bringing awareness to to, um, veteran suicide and uh, it's been I'm wearing it for every every program until I do that walk so I remember to talk about it Uh, and you can check out this show on uh, www.21gun.net and it's everywhere so I mean it's it's obviously new this episode is going to be our second episode Uh, I think they're all going to Launch on Memorial Day, 2019. Um, I'm, I'm interviewing the Vet TV guys next. I'm really excited about that. Uh, Donnie O'Malley, uh, a lot of good dudes over there, so that's going to be fun. And uh, this show, I mean, my last podcast was a blast. I've interviewed a lot of people. It was fun. But it, with any show, it's people like you that take your time to stop and talk. And I think this one, this this podcast my last one was for entertainment this one i feel like can serve a purpose you know we can help bridge that gap between civilians and um and veterans and hopefully shed a little bit light on this this weird group of people that uh yeah that we call ourselves (laughs) veterans but i appreciate it if um you know we spent 60 days together almost 10 years ago but i still feel like i know you really well i'd give you a hug if you were here all right chad thanks a lot man yeah thank you Absolutely. And I'll try to work on my beard for the next time I, I talk to you. Yeah. Take care.
0: Do it. All right,
1: bye. Thanks for listening to 21 Gun. For more information on the podcast, visit 21gun.net. Spell it out, 21gun.net. If you're interested in getting in touch with me, shoot me an email, kevin at 21gun.net. Again, spell it out, kevin at 21gun.net. Thanks again for listening. Till next time.